0: A few years ago, I was uh, playing outside on my driveway with my kids, and uh, lo and behold, I noticed a a minivan pull up down our road, and uh, out from this minivan poured a group of about four or five Jehovah's Witnesses who uh, started making their way uh, through my neighborhood, and And uh, and so I knew uh, inevitably that they were going to come and start a conversation with us as we were playing outside. And so uh, I kind of started thinking and gathering my thoughts, preparing myself for this conversation. And these Jehovah's Witnesses, they uh, made their way up to our driveway. And I went up and greeted them, and we had uh, had a friendly conversation. And uh, if you're not familiar, I mean, we've all had Jehovah's Witnesses come to our door, I'm sure, but, uh, but the reason Jehovah's Witnesses go door-to-door witnessing is because in, in their religious system, they believe that they need to prove their worthiness to Jehovah God in order to earn a place uh, in his presence one day. And, and so, uh, so for Jehovah's Witnesses, their going door-to-door is, is really a works-based system, uh, a legalistic system, trying to prove their worth to God. And, uh, and so when they go, uh, they're not doing that out of a, a great sense of love and compassion for people. They're doing that because they believe that they truly have to do these things in order to, uh, to prove their worth to Jehovah. And so, uh, so as I'm talking to this Jehovah's Witness, the conversation kind of went like they normally do. If you've ever talked to Jehovah's Witnesses, those conversations can be pretty frustrating uh, because they have some very uh, aber- aberrant beliefs from uh, what we believe as followers of Christ and the gospel. But uh, the Holy Spirit inspired me as we were standing there on the side of the road. And, uh, and as I was standing there, uh, I got this idea. I, I said to this Jehovah's Witness man that I was talking to, I said, Sir, let me ask you a question. If as we're standing here on the side of the road, what would happen if all of a sudden a car came barreling down our street and uh, swerved over and actually hit me and sent me sprawling out into the middle of the road? And I'm laying in the middle of the road. I've just been hit by this car. I am dying. I'm bleeding to death. I've got 30 seconds of life left in me. And I said to this man, what would I need to do To secure my standing with Jehovah God. And this guy just kind of sat there for a minute thinking about it. And I said, Sir, I'm dying. What do I need to do? I've got 30 seconds of life left in me. And this Jehovah's Witness man, he looked at me and he said, Well, there's lots. There's lots. I said, There's lots. There's lots. I'm dying. I've got 30 seconds of life. I'm bleeding. I'm laying in the middle of the road. What would you share with me in order to know that I have security with God? And he just shook his head. He couldn't answer. Because again, in his religious system of legalistic works-based righteousness, he truly believes that there's lots that we need to do in order to earn our standing with God. Friends, how sad is that? As I went on to share with this Jehovah's Witness man, I said, Sir, if you can't clearly share the hope of the gospel with somebody in 30 seconds or less, I said, you've got the wrong gospel. See, I said the promise of the gospel is what the Apostle Paul tells us in Romans 10, 9, and 10. If we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that he rose from the grave, you shall be saved, Paul says. There's not lots you need to do to earn your security with God. It's a simple means of trusting in Christ's provision on the cross by faith. And it's so sad, friends. So many people in our world today are caught up in these systems of of works-based righteousness, legalistic effort, trying to prove their worth, trying to earn their standing before God. And yet all along, God says salvation is a simple gift that comes through faith in what Christ has done for us. Now, I I share this story with us this morning because it reminds me a lot of what the Apostle Paul was dealing with in his letter to the Galatian Christians. As we've been talking about in the the past few weeks through our series here, the Apostle Paul had planted these churches in Galatia, gospel-based churches rooted in the truth. And after Paul had gone away from these churches Other teachers had come in, false teachers, teachers that we today call the Judaizers. And and these false teachers had come into these churches proclaiming a different gospel, a new gospel, something that Paul says was really no gospel at all. And and these Judaizers were proclaiming this message that Jesus alone wasn't enough for salvation. In, In order to truly secure your standing with God, You had to put your trust in Jesus plus faithfully keep the Mosaic laws. You needed to be circumcised. You needed to follow the the Jewish feasts and meals. You needed to follow the rules and regulations found in the Old Testament Mosaic law. It was a Jesus plus type of salvation that the Judaizers were promoting. It, It was a salvation very similar to many of the false cults and false religions in our world today that would tell you Jesus alone is not enough. There's more you need to do. There's more you need to strive for. There's more you need to prove in order to earn your standing with God. And, and so the book of Galatians is really the Apostle Paul's apologetic argument, his defense of the true gospel of Jesus Christ. And, and today we get here in verse chapter 5, we get to really the, the, the full beauty of, of what we have in the gospel. Today, we we come to the the namesake of our series in Galatians, the freedom that we find in Jesus Christ. Chapter 5, verses 1 through 15 is all about our freedom in Christ. And so this morning, I want to read this passage for us, and then I want to come back and I want to highlight for us three admonitions for the gospel-rooted life for us as Christians that Paul gives us here in this passage this morning. So let's read this together, Galatians 5, 1 through 15. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Mark my words. I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. But by faith we eagerly await through the Spirit the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. You were running a good race. Who cut in on you and kept you from obeying the truth? That kind of persuasion doesn't come from the one who calls you. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. I am confident in the Lord that you will take no other view. The one who is throwing you into confusion will pay the penalty, whoever he may be. Brothers, if I am still preaching circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. As for those agitators, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. You, my brothers, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another in love. The entire law is summed up in a single command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. It's an incredible passage here. And there's lots for us to unpack as we look at this uh, depth of teaching that Paul has given us. But, but here in our passage, what I, what I really want to do today is I want to highlight for us three admonitions that the Apostle Paul gives us here. Three admonitions for a life rooted in the gospel and the first of these admonitions that paul tells us is right at the outset in verse one paul tells us to live free live free paul's opening words in verse one of our passage are really a summary of his entire letter thus far verse one begins it is for freedom that christ has set us free it is for freedom Friends, what is Christianity all about? Paul tells us right here, freedom. Freedom is the central message of the gospel. It's the heart of the Christian faith. It was the goal of Christ's incarnation 2,000 years ago. It's what we celebrate on Christmas. It's why we rejoice on Easter. It's the hope of the world and God's desire for every individual on earth today. Freedom. And make no mistake, friends, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. One of my favorite movies of all time is Mel Gibson's Braveheart. Mel Gibson's Braveheart is the story of the 13th century freedom fighter, William Wallace. William Wallace led a series of rebellions trying to free the the Scottish people from the tyranny of English rule. After fighting a series of battles, Wallace was finally captured by King Edward I of England. And Wallace was put on trial and the British executioners were torturing him, trying to get him to renounce his cause, trying to get him to pledge allegiance to King Edward. And William Wallace, as he is laying In the final scene of the movie, tied down to a table, being publicly humiliated, being tortured and tormented, trying to get a renouncement of his cause, William Wallace is given one last chance to pledge allegiance to King Edward. And with his very last dying breath, Wallace cries out, Freedom! And that cry became a rallying point for the Scottish people as they sought their freedom. When I watch that movie, I'm reminded of another person who cried out in his final word, his final breath. I'm reminded of the scene the Gospels share with us about Jesus on the cross. After his trials and his torture and his public execution. As he hung on that cross, Jesus' final words in his very last breath, he cried out in Aramaic, Tedaliste! meaning it is finished. It is finished. The penalty for our sin has been paid. Our freedom has been secured. Friends, freedom is at the very heart of the gospel. But Paul goes on to warn us in this opening verse that our freedom must be guarded. Look what Paul says going on in verse 1. He says, Do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. It is for freedom that God has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Now friends, we often think of the need to defend our freedom. We think of that often in terms of of politically or, or militarily. And sadly, that's been a necessary reality throughout human history. There are constant threats to freedom. In 1852, the abolitionist Wendell Phillips, he made this statement. He said, eternal vigilance is the price of liberty. We must constantly be on guard against threats to our freedom. And friends, Paul is saying the very same thing when it comes to our spiritual freedom. We need to stand firm. We need to remain vigilant against everything that threatens the treasure we have in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Friends, our spiritual adversary, Satan, he would like nothing more than to see us lose our gospel-based freedom. Friends, Satan can't cause us to lose our salvation. But he can cause us to lose the joy of the gospel and get caught up again in fear and insecurity and legalistic striving. And so, this is why Paul admonishes us here do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Friends, do you know what a yoke is? When I was a kid, our family lived over in the Philippines. And in the Philippines, one of the animals you'll commonly see are are the caribou. They're they're caribou. They're not like the caribou we envision here in the Northwoods, but they're caribou and and they're actually water buffaloes. And in the Philippines, the, the Filipino people will place these heavy wooden beams, these yokes over the shoulders of the caribou. It's a technology that's been used for for years and years by people all over the world placing yokes over the tops of the beasts of burden. And these caribou will bear this heavy load. And as they pull against the yoke, the farmers will use their force to plow their rice fields and their gardens. But these yokes are yokes of slavery. Slavery. They're not free, they're under the yoke and burden of their master. And in the same way, friends, Paul is telling us here that religion, legalism, works-based efforts and performance to prove your worth in God's eyes are nothing more than a heavy burden, a yoke of slavery. It it reminds me of the the woman that Pastor Rick and I counseled here at church a, a little over a year ago. We had a woman come into our church who had been influenced by a movement called the prosperity gospel. And she believed that God wanted her to be healthy, wealthy, and prosperous. She believed that was the heart of the gospel. That God wants you to be blessed, He wants you to be wealthy, He wants you to be cured of all your illnesses and sickness, He wants you to be prosperous. And she had bought into this false teaching that said if she just had enough faith or if she confessed all of her sin and got rid of all the sin in her life, then she would be right in her standing with God and then she would experience all of these blessings in her life. And this woman was obsessive about repenting of all her sins. She showed Pastor Rick and I, she had notebooks. Notebooks going back as far in her life as she could remember, chronicling every sin she had ever committed. And she was obsessively trying to recall and pray over every single sin that she could recall from her past. Friends, she was in bondage. She was in bondage to a yoke of slavery. Her her religious system had become her slave master. This is what Paul is talking about here, friends. Don't go back to the bondage that comes from legalistic, works-based religion. Now, friends, while, while you might not be susceptible to the same brand of legalism as that woman, don't ever forget the yoke of slavery comes in many different forms. But at the root, friends, they're all the same. Legalism always trades gospel-based freedom for works-based performance. Paul's saying, don't go back. Friends, the bottom line in this is really this point. Understand this. Whether you realize it or not, every single one of us here will be yoked to something. We'll all carry a yoke. The question is, is yours going to be a yoke of slavery or a yoke of freedom? See, Jesus offers us a yoke. But Jesus offers us a yoke that leads to life and life to the full. Look what Jesus shares in Matthew 11, verses 28 through 30. Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Friends, Jesus offers us a yoke of freedom, a yoke of life and fullness and joy as we walk with Him. We're all going to be yoked to something. The question is will yours be a yoke of slavery or a yoke of freedom? Paul says, Treasure that yoke of freedom. Don't ever go back to that yoke of slavery. Paul says live free. The second admonition that we find in our passage this morning, really the heart of our passage, verses 2 through 12, Paul tells us to live alert. To live alert. Here in verses 2 through 12, Paul shares with the Galatians three warnings to help them remain vigilant in their stand for freedom. We need to be alert because, again, our freedom is constantly under threat. And what do we need to be alert of? Number one, Paul says, beware the consequences of legalistic religion. Beware the consequences of legalistic religion. Paul goes on and he lists four warnings related to legalistic religion. He says, number one, legalistic religion denies the sufficiency of Jesus Christ. If you have your Bibles, look at verse 2. Paul says, mark my words. I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value at all to you. Paul is using circumcision as his example, but really this refers to any works-based system of righteousness. Paul says here, friends, if, if you're trusting in the sufficiency of your good works to earn standing with God you're essentially saying that Christ's sacrifice on the cross was not enough. Friends, any time you adopt or embrace a religious system that says Jesus plus something else, anything else, in order to earn your standing with God, you are now denying the sufficiency of what Jesus Christ did for us when he died on the cross. The second consequence of legalistic religion is found in verse 3. Paul says, it it obligates you to keeping the whole law. Look at what Paul says in verse 3. He says, again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to keep the whole law. See, friends, understand this. If you're basing your standing with God on being faithful to his law, then you better be prepared to go all the way. Remember, God is the standard. God's holiness and his righteousness are the standard. And so if you're trying to earn your standing before God by your performance, by keeping his rules and his laws, friends, understand this, batting 500 isn't good enough. Okay? You can bat 500 and find yourself in the Hall of Fame, the Baseball Hall of Fame, but batting 500 is not good enough to stand in the presence of a perfect, holy God. Paul says, if you're going to go that route, you better be prepared to keep the whole law. And you better do it perfectly. But the problem is, is like we saw a few weeks ago in chapter 3, Paul says those who try to keep the law are truly under a curse. Because none of us can do it. We're all in trouble if that's our hope for salvation. Paul then says in verse 4, legalistic religion turns you away from grace. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. Now some people read this verse and they mistakenly interpret it to mean that we can lose our salvation. But, but this isn't what Paul is saying here at all. What Paul is talking about here is falling away from the doctrine of grace. See again, if your hope for salvation is in keeping the law, In other words, if your hope is in your own performance, friends, you're no longer trusting in grace. You've fallen away from grace. You can't have it both ways. You're either going to depend fully and solely on the saving work of Christ on the cross by faith, or you're going to trust in your own performance. You can't have it both ways. Lastly, Paul tells us here legalistic religion removes our eternal hope. Verse 5, but by faith we eagerly await through the Spirit the righteousness for which we hope. Friends, the Christian is one who has a sure and solid eternal hope because of what Jesus Christ has done for us on the cross. And, and, And while today we stand positionally righteous in Christ, Okay, remember we've talked about justification. Justification is when God declares us as sinners righteous because of what Christ has done for us. And so today, my position, my standing before God is righteousness because of Christ. But one day, and this is what Paul is talking about here in verse 5, one day I'm going to experience my full righteousness. I'm going to experience my eternal glorification. I will be truly free from the bondage of sin once and for all time but you see friends if we put our hope in works-based righteousness we lose this eternal hope because like that jehovah's witness man i shared about earlier how do you ever know if you're doing enough how do you ever know you're doing enough to to earn your standing before god And so religion just leaves you trapped in this hamster wheel of striving and striving, performing, performing, trying to prove your worth, but you never know if you're doing enough. And so you lose that eternal hope. Paul concludes this first warning in verse 6 by reminding us that the only thing that ultimately matters is faith expressing itself in love. We're going to talk about that point a a little bit later, so I'm going to move on for now. But Paul goes on, he offers a second warning here in verses 2 through 12. He says not only do we need to be aware of legalistic religion, but he says, number two, we need to be aware of the marks of the false teachers. Take a look at verse 7. Paul says, you were running a good race. Who cut in on you and kept you from obeying the truth? You see, this is the mark of the false teacher as they come and they try to obstruct our obedience. Paul uses the metaphor of of somebody running a race. Now, now I'm not much of a runner. I I know that's probably a shock to you when you look at my, you know, svelte physique here, but, um, but Paul uses this metaphor of a runner running a race and somebody coming and cutting him off, cutting in front of him, hindering his goal. And Paul says this is what the false teachers do. We're seeking to pursue Christ in faith and follow his will and trust in his message of grace. The gospel and the false teachers have come in and cut us off. Paul then says, beware the false teachers because they promote a counterfeit gospel. Look what Paul goes on. He says in verse 8, you were running a good race. Who cut in on you and kept you from obeying the truth? That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who called you. Okay, These guys cutting you off, they're not from the one who called you. They're not from God. What they're teaching you, that persuasion they're teaching you, it doesn't come from God. It doesn't come from the one who called you. Friends, how did Paul know the Judaizers weren't truly speaking for God? He knew that because they were preaching a false gospel. They were promoting a counterfeit Now now understand this, friends. I don't care if someone tells you that God called them, God spoke to them, God sent them. If you ever encounter anyone teaching anything other than the pure gospel of Jesus Christ, they are not of God. You need to understand that. Just because somebody comes to you claiming to be of God, claiming to be a teacher of God or an apostle of God or whatever they call themselves, if they are proclaiming a message that is anything other than the pure gospel of Jesus Christ, they are a false teacher. See, this is what all false religious systems do that, that, that cloak themselves in the guise of Christianity. Outwardly, they put on this facade that, that looks very Christian and they sound very Christian. They'll claim to be Christian. But when you uncover the truth and get behind the facade, you discover they're proclaiming heresy, a false gospel. It, it's like if you were to go home after church today and, and grab the jar of Hellman's mayonnaise out of your refrigerator. And you take that mayonnaise and you scoop out all that mayonnaise and you throw it down the garbage disposal. And then you go to your cupboard and you get a jar of Crisco shortening. And you repackage that jar of mayonnaise with Crisco shortening. You screw on the lid. You put it back in your refrigerator. Well, friends, what's going to happen to the next person who comes to use that mayonnaise when they make a sandwich, right? They're going to open, they're going to open that refrigerator. They're going to look at the jar. It says mayonnaise on the outside. It, it looks like mayonnaise, But friends, when they spread it on their sandwich and bite into it, they're going to choke. They're going to gag. See, this is what the false teachers do. They claim to present the true gospel, but they've emptied out the truth of Christianity and repackaged it with their own man-made teaching, their own man-made religious system. And so this is why we need to remain vigilant, friends, and you can't judge a teacher based on the outer packaging. You have to test the contents. And the good news for us is that God has given us a test for truth in the Bible. In Malachi chapter 3, verse 6, God says, I, the Lord, do not change. Okay, understand this, friends. God is unchanging. He is immutable. And because God does not change, what that means is when God reveals truth to us, he will always remain consistent with his word, with his truth, with his teaching. And so if somebody comes to you claiming to have a new revelation or a new teaching or a new gospel, friends, what you need to do is you need to test that new teaching against God's oldest teaching. And if you find that it doesn't correspond to what God has previously told us, you can throw it out as a counterfeit. It's not of God because God is timeless and unchanging. We can trust that his word, his message, his truth will never change. It's consistent. And so we need to remain vigilant. And it means, friends, that we need to know the truth. How do we know the truth? We know the truth by staying in God's word. My dad ran into a Secret Service agent on one of his trips some of you know the Secret Service, they protect the president, but the Secret Service is also charged with protecting our nation's currency against counterfeiters. And my dad was fascinated having this conversation with the Secret Service agent, and he asked him, he said, Sir, I heard a story one time, and I just wanted to see if this was true, about how the Secret Service is trained to detect counterfeit money. You know how the Secret Service is trained to detect counterfeit money? One of the primary methods that they use is they will put a Secret Service agent in a closed room for a solid week, eight hours a day, and all they'll do for eight hours a day is handle freshly minted United States currency. They'll just send it in by the truckload, and all those agents will do all day long is they'll feel real bills, handle real bills, smell real bills, hold real bills. They'll just handle real money. And friends, it's very fascinating. After a week of doing nothing, but holding the real thing. As soon as a counterfeit bill is slipped in, those Secret Service agents are able to detect it immediately because they know the real thing so well. Friends, we need to remain alert against the false teachings in our world, and that assumes that we know the truth, that we know the real thing. And so stay in the Word, friends. Stay rooted in the truth. Paul goes on in verse 10, he says that all of those perverting God's truth and leading people astray, he says ultimately they're going to face God's judgment. See, teaching falsehoods in the name of God is serious business. As Paul said in Galatians 1, verses 7 through 9, anyone teaching a false gospel, Paul says, let them be anathema, anathema, eternally cursed. It's serious business, friends. And so we need to live alert. We need to stay fast in the Word of God. Thirdly, in his call for us to live alert, Paul tells us beware the offense of the cross. In verses 11 through 12, Paul says, Brothers, if I'm still preaching circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. As for those agitators, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. Now here, obviously, Paul uses some of his most colorful language. But the real point of what Paul is conveying here is you need to understand that the message of the cross, friends, is an offensive message to our world. Paul says, the only reason I'm still being persecuted is because I'm proclaiming the message of the cross. And friends, Paul tells us this because he wants us to be aware that if we proclaim the truth of the cross in our world, you need to know that that's not always going to come across with a warm and welcome reception. It's an offensive message. Why is the message of the cross offensive? It's offensive for two reasons. Number one, it offends our pride. You you see, the message of the gospel says there's nothing that you can do of your own accord, of your own efforts to earn your standing with God. It's all about what Jesus has done for us. And that takes a lot of humility to humble yourself and trust in Christ alone. But the message of the cross is also offensive in our world today because our world today has embraced this view that, that truth is relative, that, that religions are, are pluralistic in the sense that all roads lead to God. It doesn't matter what path you choose. And so, friends, if you dare to proclaim gospel truth like like Acts 4.12, that there's no other name given under heaven whereby man can be saved other than the name of Jesus, if you claim that truth and stand on that truth and proclaim that truth, friends, that's an offensive message in our world today. And you need to be aware of that. You need to be prepared, Paul says. Paul tells us in Romans 1.16, he says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. Friends, do you believe that? If you do, and if you're willing to stand on that promise and declare it to the world, you need to be prepared to face the world's scorn. But remember, friends, we don't live as Christians for the applause of the world. We live for the glory of God. But we need to know that. The message of the gospel is offensive. But that doesn't diminish our call to share it with all people. It is the hope of the world. Thirdly, in our passage, verses 13 through 15, Paul tells us, live to love. He said, live free, live alert, and now he concludes this passage by telling us, live to love. Let me read these verses for us once again. You, my brothers, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. The entire law is summed up in a single command, love your neighbor as yourself. You know, friends, there are two main errors that the Christian can fall into. The first is legalism. We can lose our freedom. And we've talked a lot about legalism in our series so far. But there's a second error the Christian can fall into. And this is a common error that I see many people in our churches today struggling with. It's not legalism, but it's license. And what is license? License is abusing our freedom. See, you can lose your freedom, but you can also abuse your freedom. And that's what Paul's talking about here in verse 13. Don't, Paul says in verse 13, he says, you were called to be free. Don't use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. See, a lot of people, they believe, well, I've been saved by grace. I have eternal security. God will forgive me of all my sins, so I can just go and live my life any way I like. And we try to justify our sins because we know the incredible grace of God. But Paul says, don't abuse your freedom like that. That's not what the gospel's about. It's not about giving you a justification to go on in sin. And so here in this final two verses, Paul really wants us to recognize that that what the gospel truly does is it undermines our motivation to sin while motivating us to truly love others. How does the gospel undermine our motivation to sin? It does this by holding up a treasure far more valuable than anything the world can offer. Makai, come on up here real quick. I got a a little offer for you here today. Now, Makai, I've got a couple things for you here. I've got like $27 in Monopoly money, okay? Now, I want you to look at, this is beautiful, right? I mean, colorful, cool designs on the front of it. All right, I've got $27 in Monopoly money, or... I've got a freshly minted $10 bill. Now, I mean, this is just kind of a plain green bill, but uh, I'm going to give you a choice. You can choose. This is my gift to you. Do you want the Monopoly money or the $10 bill? The $10, $10, are you sure? You want the $10 bill. These are pretty, I mean, look how beautiful these are. (laughs) Colorful, there's more of them. You sure? Mm -hmm. All right, give them a round of applause here, the $10 bill. (laughs) Friends, what you need to understand is that Jesus Christ is far more valuable than any of the idols our world offers. See, the world comes to us and it offers us these beautiful, enticing-looking idols and they're colorful and they're attractive and they look pretty and, and, oh man, there's so many of them. But what you come to discover is there's no real substance behind them. But like the $10 bill that Micaiah took... The $10 bill has real worth, has real value. And that's the same as the gospel of Jesus Christ, friends. When you truly understand all that we have in Christ, why would you ever settle for anything less? And so Paul says understanding the treasure that we have in Christ is what undermines our motivation to sin. Now the gospel doesn't just undermine our motivation for sin, but it also motivates us to truly love others. And how does this work? Well, friends, the more we come to see and appreciate who God is through the lens of the gospel, the more we're going to be motivated to please him. The more we come to understand all that we have in our salvation, our standing before God, our security, our inheritance. Friends, the more we understand the treasure of the gospel, the more we're going to fall in love with God. And the more we're going to want to do the things that God wants us to do. And what does God want us to do? How do we know that? Well, we know that by the law that God has revealed. The law, which is a reflection of God's moral character. And Paul says here in verse 14 that the entire law can be summed up in one command, love your neighbor as yourself. So so friends, understand how this works. The more you look to the gospel, the more you'll experience joy in your salvation in your security, in your standing, in your inheritance, and you'll begin to fall more in love with God, and the more you fall in love with God, the more you're going to want to honor him and serve him. And the more that that love will then begin to overflow into love for others. Paul says, "Don't indulge your freedom, but don't abuse your freedom by indulging your sinful nature, but serve one another in love." I heard a great story this week that really typifies everything Paul is talking about here in this admonition, live to love. Wednesday night at our Thanksgiving Eve service uh, Dwight and Barb Benson came up to me and they said, Jason, we've got to tell you this great story. I didn't mention the white rose we got on stage this morning because I'm saving it for right now. Dwight and Barb came up to me and they said, Jason, we got a great phone call this week. Two years ago, Dwight was at a doctor's appointment up at the hospital in Cambridge, and as he came down from his doctor's appointment, the uh, the doctor or after the doctor's appointment, he came down and in the waiting room he noticed there was a young woman in there who who was crying. She was sobbing, tears were flowing, and so Dwight just felt the Lord telling him, "Hey, go and see if you can help this young lady. See if she's okay." And so Dwight went and talked with her and he discovered that she had just gotten out of a treatment facility there in Cambridge and, and, and she had no place to go. Her family didn't want her coming home and she didn't know what she was going to do. She, she had a stepmom over in Princeton who she thought might take her in, but, but she was really totally alone in the world. And so Dwight and Barb, they spent time with this young lady and they said, hey, you know what, let us try to take you to Princeton and, and see if we can connect you with your stepmom. And so they started making their way to Princeton and while they were driving, they were listening to KTIS and Christian music was playing on the radio and and Dwight said it was like God just ordained the perfect song. Song after song were just messages of hope, messages of the gospel. And, And in between the songs, Dwight and Barb were talking with this young lady, sharing the gospel with her. When they got to Princeton and they were waiting there for her stepmother to come and get her, they started sharing the gospel with her, telling her that God loved her, telling her the hope that is found, the freedom that's found in Jesus Christ. Well, Barb ended up giving this young lady her business card, and she said her goodbyes, and they didn't hear from her for two years. Well, just a couple weeks ago, this young lady was rummaging through some old stuff, and she found Barb's business card. And she called Dwight and Barb up on the phone last week and she said, Mrs. Benson, I want you to know that shortly after you guys dropped me off, I prayed to receive Jesus Christ. She says, I, I've gone through Teen Challenges program. I've gotten my life totally straightened out. I'm attending a great church up here in Princeton. She says, God's done an incredible work in my life and it's all because you guys took the time to love me in the name of Jesus. Friends, that's what Paul's talking about. That's the motivation of the gospel. It motivates us to live to love others. Don't abuse your freedom to indulge the sinful nature, but allow the beauty and joy and treasure of the gospel to begin to manifest in your heart and overflow into love for others. Paul says, Christ has set us free. Live free. Live to love. Our worship team is going to come up here and lead us in a final song. Come on up, guys. As they do that, I just want to mention something. Over the last eight weeks, you've seen the chains up here on the stage behind me. These chains represent all that we were apart from the gospel of Jesus Christ. These chains represent our slavery to to sin. They represent our bondage to the law. They represent the yoke, the burden of trying to prove our worth in God's eyes. And you know something, friends? I think it's time we took these chains down because we are free in Jesus Christ. And so next week when you come back to worship, these chains aren't going to be here anymore because Jesus Christ has set us free. Why don't you stand let's worship the Lord together and thank Him for our great freedom.
1: Savior of the world was found. His body on the cross, his blood poured out
0: thank you. We thank you for your incredible grace. We thank you for the freedom that we have through you. Thank you, Lord, that you have lifted the yoke of slavery off of our backs and that we can walk in freedom, Lord. God, help us not to abuse our freedom by indulging in the sinful nature of the flesh, but God, let us use our freedom to love and serve others in the name of Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, I pray that all of us here today would know the joy and hope that is found in the gospel. If there's anybody here today who hasn't yet embraced that freedom, that free gift, I pray that they might turn their hearts to you right now. Jesus, you are so good. Thank you, Lord. We pray this in your name. Amen.